0: Good morning! I feel like I, I missed half of you during the announcements. I'm glad y'all showed up. Good. Uh, good to see you. Turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 39. If you don't mind, I don't think there's any restrictions on doing more than one New Year's sermon, okay? So last week we did a New Year's resolution kind of sermon where I was encouraging you to get into your Bibles every day, every week, and receive twenty-two benefits from being in the Word, uh, and we looked at all one hundred and seventy-six verses of Psalm one nineteen. Um, by the way, you know, people came up and said, "No, you didn't. You didn't do that." I said, "Yeah, I did. I know it's against every seminary rule, but uh, it was fun, and I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Uh, getting into God's Word. And this morning, same kind of thing. I want us to look at Psalm." Uh, 39, it's not as long, uh, but it's, it's a great passage that really gets us thinking about what we need to do um, at the start of another year. I want to talk about, first of all, something that uh, nobody likes to talk about except teenagers maybe, and that is aging, okay? The beginning of a new year means you're getting older. It's not just me, you are too. We are all getting older. We're all now one year older. We have to write 2018 down instead of 2017 down. And that means we're getting older. And with every year of getting older, there are are things people want to do. The top two New Year's resolutions are I want to get out of debt and I want to get out of weight. (laughs) I want to lose debt and I want to lose weight. I want to get my financial house in better shape. I want to get my physical body in better shape. And there's all sorts of ads all over everywhere to help people do that and think through that. That's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about one step beyond that. We already know that's what we want to do. I want us to see in Psalm 39, it describes, why don't we just go ahead and do it? It's more about God's will is... You already know what it is you need to do, but we need to move on. Let me uh, show you uh, verse four, five, six of Psalm 39. Lord, make me know my end. What's the extent of my days? You know, I'm not going to have that many. I'm getting older, so my days are running out. Let me know how transient I am. Verse 5, Behold, you have made my days as hand breaths. I mean, you can measure them, how many I've got left. You can measure yours. Surely every man, the last part of verse 5, at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. Verse 7, and now, Lord, for what do I wait? So what are you waiting for? You already know these things. You know that your days are running out. You know that you're getting older. You know that you face frailty. Get a move on. What are we waiting for? We all have some New Year's resolution or at least some New Year's thought, some New Year's conviction. I ought to do something different perhaps this year than last. Um, Why don't we just move on? And I've wondered about that. Maybe it's because we feel like we need a trusted counselor to really help us come to grips with our frailty, help us really engage our mortality. We read the truth that we just got a few days and we need to move on. What if a counselor came to you, somebody you trusted, somebody you knew you needed to follow, and they said, look, If you don't lose 30 pounds in six months, you will be dead by Christmas. Then you go, whoa, that's a different picture. Or if they say, look, if you don't get significantly out of debt, I don't know what you've got to do, sell your car, sell your house, but if you don't do that, you will be in jail by Christmas. If we could get that kind of push from a trusted counselor saying, you have to act and you've got to act now. Move on. What are you waiting for? You're going to be dead at Christmas if you don't do something quick. That's the thrust of Psalm 39. You know what you need to do. You need to get with it. Because you don't have that many days because we always think, well, I got one more. I'll always have another opportunity. And Psalm 39 is that kind of wake-up call. No, think about getting with it. Um, and I'm not going to this morning. There's not a lot in Psalm 39 that gives a specific sin that it's dealing with. I think it's. I think it just throws it out there for us. And when I, you know, look at us as a family we've all got different issues we've all got things we've got to deal with we have all in certain amounts of pain that we've got to deal with i'm trusting the holy spirit to convict you right where you are this morning what is it you need to do this year you need to get a move on and instead of me just picking what i think are the top two because i don't think it necessarily has to be weight and debt that's what where America is for the most part. But do you need to get a move on in the way you love your husband or your, your wife? Do you need to get a move on in the way you train your children? Do you need to get a move on in the way you, you work with fellow workers, in the way you deal with them? Do you need to address your financial house? Do you need to address physical issues a number of us have a number of different things ask the holy spirit to speak to you during this exposition of psalm 39 lord what is it that you want me to deal with this is the new year and i need to get after something something that god wants you to do think about that it requires a change and i think psalm 39 is about repenting of three things it's repenting of suppressing the truth this is something you do need to do. It's repenting of shuffling the time, thinking you always got a little bit more. And it's repenting of sinning with temperance. It's okay if I just keep sinning a little bit in this area and not deal with it. That's what the psalm is dealing with. So let's, let's look at each of those sections, and you evaluate where you are, what God is saying to you this morning. First of all, this whole idea of just suppressing the truth. The first three verses. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. It's like, that's a powerful thing. I'm not going to uh, speak bad stuff. We, I'm going to control my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. So then he's gone to an extreme. He's not just guarding his mouth here like with a bridle that you would put in a horse's mouth to control it. And that's what James 3 talks about. We we wish we had a bridle or a rudder or something to control our tongue. But the psalmist here is saying, no, I'm going to put a muzzle on. In other words, I'm not going to speak at all. I know evil stuff comes out of my mouth. I'm just going to quit speaking while the wicked are in my presence. Verse 2, so I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good. That's a key phrase. So he's gone too far. So I I suppressed the truth. I had good stuff to say, but I decided I'm not even going to say the good stuff. And he restrained his mouth even from good. And then the sorrow grew worse. See, it didn't fix his problems. My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned and I spoke with my tongue. He knew he needed to speak, but he was suppressing it. He was suppressing the truth. I want us to think through that. There's times when there's certain people around us, we say, well, yeah, I just I need to hold it back, I need to hold it back. But then sometimes maybe we get in a habit of holding it back too much. And there are things that need to be said in love, and we need to speak. And the psalmist said, so, yeah, I kept my mouth from doing that. I muzzled it. There were good things I should have said, didn't say. Um, it's interesting. You can avoid one sin, which is what he was doing, avoiding sins with his tongue, acts of commission. And then because he went too far, he began to commit acts of omission. He failed to say the good he should have said by trying to hold back and restrain and maybe there's things in in your life with the people in your family at work wherever you're trying to do good and hold back but now you've you've so you're not committing the sin of commission but you're now committing the sin of omission you're failing to do something you ought to be doing and you've been failing for a long time just putting all i'll get around to it kind of thing And you never do. Well, that seems to be where the psalmist was. And that's why he leads us down to verse 4. Make me know the end of my days. He's like, I need to count my days. I don't have a lot of time here. I need to speak up. But I've been suppressing the truth. Avoiding one sin, it's leading me to another. Suppressing the truth, that's the activity of an unbeliever. They don't want to do what God says. We know what God says. We need to get around to it, to do it. Uh, God has designed us for communication. Uh, some examples. Uh, you say, well, I know God doesn't want me to commit adultery. Nope, that would be an act of commission. But, so you restrain from co- the act of adultery, but at the same time you omit the love you ought to have for your spouse. You just get indifferent. You just get in this routine. You, you don't cultivate passion. You don't communicate about the things you really need to communicate. You don't, as a husband, lead and sanctify and spend time in prayer with the Word with your, with your wife. And as a wife, you don't, you don't think through the whole ramifications. How is the church to respond to Christ and the bride's supposed to respond that way to her husband? Respond to that kind of leadership and be submissive. And, And we don't think through or talk about, what does that mean for us? We just let it slide. Well, I'm not committing adultery. Yeah, you're not. But there's so many other things that are being omitted, and you don't have it so many days. Why not build intimacy there instead of just let it go? That's what the psalmist is dealing with. I'm I'm in this relationship and I'm letting it go and I need to realize I only have a short time. And I need to get after those kind of things. The same thing in the work work world. There's th- there's things we we just let go. It's just easier to let go instead of why don't we why don't we deal with this? Why don't we admit that we are leaving things undone or Obviously, we shouldn't be beating our children, beating people up, but are we training our children? Are we omitting time with them in the Word and in prayer and in worship? That godly training, train them up in the way they should go so that they learn what God wants them to know and how He wants them to live. So that's the first three verses of this psalm. Think about what are you suppressing? What are you holding back? That God wants you to move forward on. And the theme of this psalm is, what are you waiting for? You need to get after that. This is the year for that. Second, he says, don't only repent of suppressing stuff you need to be doing. Second, don't shuffle the time. Uh, Verses 4 through 6. Life is short. Lord, make me know my end. What is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as hand breaths i don't know if anybody measures stuff like if you have a horse you measure it a hand how many hands is a horse well he's thinking he's just using that as our our lives are 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 that that measurable it's it's concrete let us know that we our lifetime it's nothing in your sight surely every man at his best best is a mere breath good time of year to see your breath you get up early, go outside, and talk. You see your breath, right? And it's your breath is most concentrated, closest to your lips. That's what he's describing. He says our lives are like a mere breath, and the longer it goes, the quicker it dissipates. That's us. We're about gone. I mean, it's a great analogy says, you know, we, we begin strong and we're, ju- we're, we're just about gone from here. He so said, let us see that. Uh, verse 6, surely every man walks about as a phantom. It's like this ghostly experience that's just going away fast. Surely they make an uproar, they're noisy, but for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. So, you see, In other words, you, see, you make a noise, you get busy trying to accumulate wealth, You die, and somebody else spends it or gets to enjoy it, and they enjoy it like you never existed. Why do we do that? Three things he kind of picks up on there. Uh, Number one, we're frail. Humans are frail. Number two, time is fleeting. And number three, the accumulation of wealth is futile. You see that? We are frail like a breath. Our time is fleeting. It just it goes fast. And then number three, the accumulation of wealth. If, if that's all we busy ourselves, if that's all we make a noise to do, that's futile. Because somebody else really gets to enjoy it. You, you you accumulate the most as you get older and you've got it and then you can't enjoy it. Why? Why would we spend our lives that Way So it says, don't shuffle the time. Um, what would you do if you knew you only had six months? Would you do it different? Would you, would you finally get the idea that we're frail, time's fleeting, it's not about the accumulation of wealth? Yes, it's good to have wealth. Wealth enables us to do stuff. But if that's all we're doing, that's futile. The next six months needs to be about more than that, and we need to be able to lay that aside to do that more, that significant thing. Um, and he's, I love that little phrase. He says, surely they make an uproar for nothing. It's like, why are people so noisy? Why, why are they making such an uproar? It's for nothing. Um, of course, we know in Scripture that everything that's done for Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the work of the Lord is not in vain. It's not for nothing. There's stuff we can do that is significant and eternal and goes with us. But if we're caught up in this world and that's the only world we're in, says we need to remember frail life, fleeting time, futile accumulations. That's not what life needs to be about. Uh, consider how you would do it different if this was your last six months. How would your time with your wife be? How would the time with your husband be? What would you be talking about with your children? Would you then start training? Would you then start saying, there's things I need you to know before I'm gone. If you only had six more months with the people you work with, are there things you want them to know about life in Christ before you're gone. That's where the psalmist is at. Why do we make such an uproar about the stuff that doesn't matter? We need to get back and consider our time as though we were on a dying bed. You know, you've probably all been around somebody who's dying As a pastor, I've spent a lot of time at a dying bed. I've never heard, and I doubt you have either really. It would be the rare exception. I've never heard anybody regret spending time with other people and saying words in love. The regret at the dying bed is always, I wish I'd have had another day. I wish I'd have said this. It was always those sins of omission. I didn't use my time well. The life was frail. I should have known that. I suppressed the truth of it. And then I went on and I shuffled the time. And I didn't say what I needed to say and I didn't act the way I needed to act. The psalmist says, so what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? We need to, we know these things. This is not new to you. We know these things, so we need this push from the Holy Spirit to say, yep, this is what you need to do. Uh, In other words, the question is, I would have to sit down with you personally and say, what's going on in your life to figure out the what? But you probably already know the what. You know what you need to do. The question is not, what do you need to do? The question is, when will you schedule it? When will you schedule God's will for your life? Most of you know God's will for your life. Just This psalmist is saying, schedule it. What are you waiting for? Put it down. This is something you're going to do in 2018. This is something you're going to do, and you're going to do it in a timely fashion. Verse 7, don't sin by holding on. The intemperance, and well, maybe just a little bit. Verse 7, and now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope's in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. I circled the word all. I love that confession. God, I'm not coming to, to just get clean from a few sins. While we're here, let's, let's deal with all of it. Take away all of my sins, all of my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. You know, they, they find out the one sin and they're going to just blast me for that. Now let's get rid of all of them. Verse 9, I have become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. Remove your plague from me because of the opposition of your hand. I am perishing with reproofs. You chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath but what's going on there's different from the first three verses here now the psalmist says i am mute now because you're dealing with me i've come to you god and i've i've asked you to to convict me of our frailty i've convict me of time fleeting convict me of of waiting when i needed to get a move on i've asked you to do that i've asked you to forgive me of all of my sins so i can start fresh today and get going And now, whoa, it's like, let me be quiet. God shows up, and God starts speaking. And the way God starts speaking to this psalmist is through what we call chastisement, what he calls reproof, what we call correction, what the old timers called spanking. He says, when God shows up, and he starts spanking, quit wiggling and start listening to what God has to say. Re- let's remind ourselves of God's discipline, and you'll see, see it maybe. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. Probably the most exhaustive section on God's discipline of us and, and where it takes us. And that's exactly where the psalmist is in Psalm 39. But Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 7 But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. So stop and just think about the comparison. He says, Mom and Dad, they discipline us the best they could for what they thought was good and right. But when God starts disciplining us, it's perfect discipline. It's for holiness. He never messes up. He never fails to accomplish his ends. So when God shows up to discipline, it's like the psalmist in Psalm 39. It's like, I just need to get still and take this because of where this is taking me. This is truly an answer to my prayer to get going, and God has showed up for that purpose. Verse 11, still in Hebrews, says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. But sorrowful. I mean, nobody really likes it, but it, it's good. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, it's like, you know, this, is, if this is what it's going to do, he says, verse 12: strengthen the hands that are weak, the knees that are feeble. You know, get the discipline you need, start the program you need to get strong. Verse 13: and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joy but rather healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. I mean, where this takes you is God shows up to discipline you and if you don't have that discipline in your life, it says you're not really a Christian. You're you're illegitimate. You're You're calling yourself a Christian and you're not. This is one of the signs of genuine believers. They experience God's work in their lives, which is why you can ask a person who says they're a believer and well what's god been doing in your life it's one of the questions elders ask as people join tell us how you came to know the lord and what he's been doing in your life i mean if you're genuine he's doing something he wants to move you forward there's times when we want to just stay still and so he has to come in basically with a stick and hit us a little bit and say look i didn't adopt you as sons and daughters for that purpose I adopted you to become like Christ, so we need to get a move on. And he starts moving us, and it says, and it makes us holy. It produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It strengthens us. It gives us peace. It gives us this sanctification, which we must have. Christ's disciples must become like Christ. They must be made more holy. So what are we waiting for? See, That's the implication here, and it's the implication back in Psalm 39, uh, I didn't read verse 12 and 13 of Psalm 39. So the psalmist ends by, Lord, hear my prayer. This, this is me praying now, O Lord, and give ear to my cry, and do not be silent in my tears. For I am a stranger with you, a sojourner like all my fathers. Have you gotten ever gotten to the place in your relationship with the Lord whereas if you started praying right now, you need to confess, God, it's been a while? God, it's been a while when I was really serious, like Dale said, it might have been routine prayer at, at mealtime or prayer even in church, but it's been a while since I really prayed. I've been kind of a stranger. And That's where the psalmist is. He says, I'm a stranger with you, a sojourner. Turn your gaze away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. in other words turn that gaze that destroys me away I need to see your smile I, I, I need to be your friend I need to be moved from this place of sin um, and that's where we need to be God chasing us sinners praying not wiggling when we're disciplined but taking what God comes to bring us expecting death soon And expecting death soon should make us seek mercy immediately. That's what the psalmist does. Sometimes we just want to play with sin one more day. The psalmist finally got to the place of saying, Deliver me from all of that. I need to get out from under the frown of God, I need to be in the smile of God. I need him to hear my prayer and to correct me. Well, what's the correction you need? A lot of us, you know, play around with that term. Well, I'll get around to it. As a salesman, I was once given a little silver coin, and on the the coin it was one word, and the word was to it. And I looked at that and said, what is that? They said, that's a round to it. Don't make any more excuses. You now have a round to it. What are you waiting for? I mean, that's silly. But that's where we are a lot of times. What are we waiting for? We know the Spirit convicts in His people. This is a sin you need to deal with. You don't need to wait on anything else. Deal with it. Pray. Ask God to correct with the understanding that you're frail, time is fleeting, and just the accumulation of wealth. i got to get busy, and i got to do this to provide. Yeah, I know all of that, but that's futile. So let's deal with sin, and let's deal with this relationship we have with God, and let's do it now. Let's pray together. Father, let us pause and be serious. Let us pause and ask for help from above, from, for spiritual conviction that moves us, that changes us, that corrects us. Let us be willing to take discipline, if that's what it's going to take, to get it done. But in reality, Lord, let us see our our hands are weak, our knees are feeble. We really can't run fast to heaven because we have sins that encumber us. Lord, let us lay aside the, the sins that encumber us. Let us run the rays set before us and let us start now. May 2018 be a year of pushing forward in righteousness and holiness. Apart from which no one can see you. Lord, we want to see your face. We want to be in your presence. We want to be your sons and daughters. So convict us. May we be the ones who deal with sin and grow in Christ father for each one here family i love lord let them hear you speak to them convict them so that they can grow in christ for we ask these things in jesus name amen